0: Welcome back to History Plus True Crime Uncovered, a new podcast series all about historical stories, people, and places. Disclaimer, some content in this episode may be sensitive to some listeners. Discretion is advised for those under the age of 13. Today's case is one that happened locally. If you don't know, I am from and live in Iowa. This case is probably the most famous of them all in our state, and I have toured the house many years ago. Apparently the list of famous axe murders goes well beyond the renowned Lizzie Borden case which will be covered in a different episode. Some murderers were acquitted like Lizzie and some murderers were executed. Like the Lizzie Borden case, some remain an unsolved mystery as well. Or The fact that in the period from 1908 to 1918, there were several axe killings all across the Midwest that remained unsolved. Could these be connected in some way? The Villisca axe murders occurred between the evening of June 9, 1912 to the early morning of June 10th, 1912, in the town of Aliska, Iowa, in the United States. The six members of the Moore family and two guests were found bludgeoned in the Moore residence. All eight victims, including six children, had severe head wounds from an axe. A lengthy investigation yielded several suspects, one of whom was tried twice. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second ended in an acquittal. No one has ever been convicted for these crimes, it remains unsolved to this day, more than a hundred years later. The Moore family consisted of parents, Josiah B, aged 43, Sarah, a maiden name Montgomery, 39 years old, and their four children, Herman Montgomery, 11, Mary Catherine, 10, Arthur Boyd, 7, and Paul Vernon, 5. An affluent family, the Moores were well-known and well-liked in their community. On June 9, 1912, Mary Catherine Moore invited Ina May, 8, and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, 12, to spend the night at the Moore residence. That evening, the visiting girls and the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church, where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah had coordinated. After the program ended at 9.30 p.m., the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moore's house, arriving between 9.45 and 10 p.m. At 7 a.m. the next day, June 10th, Mary Peckham, the Moore's neighbor, became concerned after she had noticed that the family had not come out to do their morning chores. Peckham knocked on the Moore's door. When nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. Now, during this time period, 1912 ish, uh, people typically did not lock their doors. Um, people were super, super trusting. At that time, um, and so locking your doors wasn't a thing, really. Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and called Rossmore Josiah's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. Ross unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. While Peckham stood on the porch, Ross went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. Moore immediately told Peckham to call Henry Hank Horton, Veliska's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly thereafter. Horton's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon an axe belonging to Josiah was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were found. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that the killer or killers of patiently waited according to the official tour there were no cigarettes found in the attic until the moore family and the stillinger guests were asleep the killer or killers began in the master bedroom where josiah and sarah moore were sleeping josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim his face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing the ceiling in his room also had a gouge mark from when the murderer lifted the axe to murder him Also want to note, since I have toured this property, um, and, you know, you have a tour guide and all that kind of thing, the cuts in the ceiling and the walls from the axe, like, going up and hitting the ceiling and walls are still there, um, the ceilings in this home, so it's a, a typical turn of the century, Victorian style home, and the ceilings are not very high. You know, you didn't have vaulted ceilings at the turn of the century. So, um, you know, just little bit of information there is that the ceilings weren't very high. So whoever killed these people, um, when, uh, He pulled the axe up. It went right into the wall and the ceiling. So... The killer or killers used the blade of the axe on Sarah while using the blunt end on the rest of the victims. Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul were next bludgeoned in the head in the same manner as their parents. Afterwards, the murderer returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elder moors, knocking over a shoe that had fallen then filled with blood before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and killing Ina and Lena seemingly afterwards, a four pound slab of bacon was taken out of the icebox and laid next to the ax. Investigators also found untouched food and bloody water during their search. After the search, people were let in to see if they could have committed the crime completely contaminating the weapon. Um, also, uh, you know, with this case, the probably the main reason this case remains unsolved is because they let people into this property right after the bodies had been discovered. They completely contaminated all evidence. You know, this is before the time of fingerprinting and that kind of thing. But even so, they should not have let anybody in that house it should have been blocked off you know like there was just no way that this would have been solved but you know by you know evidence um just because of that so uh that's a little a little information i wanted to include in this episode Investigators believed that all of the victims, except for Lena Stillager, had been asleep when they were murdered. They thought that she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found lying crosswise on the bed and with a defensive wound on her arm. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarments, leading to law enforcement speculation that the killers sexually molested her or attempted to do so. This was later proven false. Over time, many possible suspects emerged, including Reverend George Kelly, Frank F. Jones, William Mansfield, Loving Mitchell, Paul Mueller, and Henry Lee Moore, which was no relation to the Moores. Kelly was tried twice for the murder. The first trial ended in a hung jury, while the second ended in an acquittal. All other suspects in the investigation were also exonerated. Now, continuing, I'm going to go through some of the suspects um, following uh, the case. Andrew Sawyer, he, it says, Every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a suspect in the murders. Andrew Sawyer was one of those people. He was interrogated but not charged. He also was obsessed with the murders and slept fully clothed as if he was ready to make a clean getaway, and he also slept with an axe by his bed. Reverend George Kelly. Kelly was an English born traveling minister in town on the night of the murders. Kelly was described as peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. As an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. On June 8, 1912, he came to Villisca to teach at the Children's Day Services, which the Moore family attended, on June 9, 1912. He left town between 5 a.m. and 5.50 a.m. On June 10, 1912, hours before the bodies were discovered. Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court, but the jury didn't believe his confession. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. This aroused suspicion, and a private investigator wrote back to Reverend Kelly, asking for details that the minister might know about the murders kelly replied with great detail claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders his known mental illness made authorities question whether he knew the details because of having committed the murders or was imagining his account in 1914 two years after the murders kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail he was sexually harassing a woman who had applied for a job as his secretary He was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Health Hospital in Washington, D.C. Investigators speculated again that Kelly could be the murderer of the Moore family. In 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Villisca murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However, it followed many hours of interrogation and Kelly later recanted. After two separate trials, he was acquitted. I also want to note that in my research and in knowing several different facets of this case, um, it has been said that Kelly um, got on a train to go to the next town. Um, that he was supposed to preach at, which was the following day, June 10th, 1912. And he was on the train anytime between 5 and 6 a.m. And now, of course, this is before the bodies were discovered. And he was telling people on the train specific details about the murder. Now, if he didn't murder these people, how did he know that information before the bodies were ever discovered? interesting. Frank F. Jones. Frank Fernando Jones was a Villisca resident and an Iowa State senator. Josiah Moore had worked for Frank Jones at his implement store for many years before leaving to open his own store. Moore reportedly took business away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership. Moore was rumored to have had a sexual affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, though no evidence actually supports this. William Mansfield Another theory was that Senator Jones hired William Blackie Mansfield to murder the Moore family. Nine months before the murders at Villisca, a similar case of axe murder occurred in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Two axe murder cases followed in Ellsworth, Kansas and Paola, Kansas. The cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person. Other murders reported as possibly being linked to these crimes include the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912, the unsolved Axemen of New Orleans killings, as well as several other such murders during this time period. The murders in Colorado Springs were closely related in execution to those in the Moore House. H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were found dead, murdered with an axe. Bed sheets were used to cover the windows to prevent passers by from looking in. At the Moore House, the murderer hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows as in the murders in villasca the murderer in colorado springs wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bed clothes mansfield was also the prime suspect of the burns detective agency of kansas city and detective james newton welkerson who suggested that he was a cocaine addicted serial killer According to contemporary news reports, Wilkerson believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in in Blue Island, Illinois, on July 5, 1914, two years after the Veliska murders. The axe murders committed in Paola, Kansas four days before the Villisca murders and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois. According to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating that the same man probably committed them. Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of the differing crime scenes on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed and a basin in which the murderer washed was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison at Leavenworth. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Velisca murders. He was released for lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded $2,225, which in 1912, that's a lot of money. It would be probably triple at least uh, the 1912 rate for today's you know inflation. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. However, R.H. Thorpe, a restaurant owner from Shenandoah, Iowa, identified Mansfield as the man he saw the morning after the Velisca murders boarding a train at Clarenda. This man said he had walked from Villisca. If proven to be true, this testimony would disprove Mansfield's alibi. Furthermore, it was reported that a Mrs. Vina Tompkins of Marshalltown was on her way to testify that she had heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. Henry Lee Moore Henry Lee Moore was a suspected serial killer who was not related to the slain Moore family who was convicted of the murder of his mother and grandmother several months after the murders in Villisca. His weapon of choice, of course, being an axe. Before and after the murders in Villisca, the very similar axe murders on his mother and grandmother were committed, and all of the cases showed striking similarities, leading to strong suspicion that some or all of the crimes were committed by an axe-wielding murderer. serial killer and just like Blackie Mansfield, the axe-murdering Henry Moore can also be considered a suspect in some of these slings. Sam Moyer. At the inquest, it was reported that Sam Moyer, Josiah's brother-in-law, often threatened to kill Josiah Moore. However, upon further investigation, Moyer's alibi cleared him of the crime. Paul Mueller. In their 2017 book *The Man from the Train*, Bill James and his daughter Rachel McCarthy James discuss the Veliska murders as part of a much larger series of murders, which they believe were all committed by a single serial killer. They conclude the murderer was Paul Mueller or Miller, an immigrant possibly from Germany, who was the suspect of an unsuccessful year-long manhunt as the sole suspect in the 1897 murder of a family in west brookfield massachusetts who had employed him as a farmhand james started his search in an attempt to solve the Velisca murders and with his daughter found archival newspaper stories detailing dozens of families murdered under similar circumstances across the u.s the jameses thus believed that Mueller was guilty of the Velisca murders as part of a killing spree that lasted over a decade killing at least 59 people in 14 separate incidences including the Colorado Springs and Payola crimes. The Jameses identify common features to these crimes, many of which are also found at the Villisca scene. The killer selected families who lived near railroad tracks, which is why the killer was suspected to have traveled, hence the book's title, seemingly struck in an ambush at about midnight while the victims were asleep using the blunt side of an axe rather than the blade to strike the victims in the head and face used an axe found at the victim's home and left in plain sight after the murders covered the victims with blankets to prevent blood spatter (coughs) covered windows from inside the house and locked the doors before departure. In Mu- Mueller's suspected crimes, there was often but not always a sexual motive directed towards a pubescent girl, as with lean being par- partially disrobed. In a blurb on the dust jacket of the hardcover edition of The Man from the Train, professor and crime writer Har- Harold Scudder writes that the Jameses often offered the most probable solution yet for the Valeska murders. And then the last little part of this episode is where I'm going to talk about um, the Valeska Axe murders in kind of a popular culture. Uh, It has been featured on several movies, TV series, books, all kinds of different things. Um, the paranormal reality television series Ghost Adventures covered the story of the Veliska Axe Murders in the episode Veliska Axe Murder House. The house and murders were used as the setting and premise of the haunted house horror film The Axe Murders of Veliska, that came out in 2016. The paranormal reality television series Scariest Places on Earth covered the story of the Veliska Axe murders and hosted a paranormal investigation on the property. The case was profiled on the television series Most Terrifying Places in America. Highly recommend it does a really, really good job of, of explaining the case with like reenactment type of stuff. Um, both Scariest Places on Earth and Most Terrifying Places in America um, have episodes on it, and it's just, it's really good. So I recommend um, looking at that if you want to find out further information on this case and other cases, other situations. The murders were also described in episode 16 of the podcast Lore by Aaron Menke. The murders were described live, live, in episode 168 of the podcast my favorite murder by karen Kilgarf. the murders and purported paranormal activity was described in episode 21 of the podcast and that's why we drink and the travel channels television show destination fear filmed at the location for the eighth episode of their third season Ryan Bergara and Shane Majay of BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural investigated the paranormal activity within the house in Season 7, Episode 2. YouTuber Bailey Sarian featured the murders on an episode of her weekly series, Murder, Mystery, and Makeup. Highly recommends following Bailey Sarian. She is amazing. Um super amazing so yeah highly recommend her series and all things all different kinds of things she goes over so youtubers sam and colby published a paranormal investigation video of the murders and finally the murders were described in the episode who committed the 1912 Veliska axe murders on the august 3rd 2017 episode of the stuff you should know podcast and that's it, my friends. Um, just a note that, yes, you can tour the house. Um, they provide a tour guide. Uh, you can go on their website, the thevilliscaaxemurders.com, to look at uh, what all they have available. There is also a um, history museum there in Villisca, Um and i they used to have the axe that was used on display, but I believe it is now on display in the History Museum in Des Moines, Iowa um, but uh, another thing that they do offer and I mean I don't I don't know it's purportedly very very haunted is that you can book an overnight stay or a weekend stay inside of the house um, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> But you can, if you would like. Um, So that's, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. (laughs) Another place uh, that pertains to this murder that you can actually visit is the cemetery there in Villisca, Iowa. That has the headstone. It's a massive multi-grave headstone for the more parents and their children lena and ina Stillinger's uh, graves are also out there um if you want to pay your respects to the dead that died during this incredible tragedy um i think that's one thing we have to remember is that these were real people and they died horrifically um And I really, really do believe that this house is haunted. That the souls of these people just cannot move on. Because they were murdered in a horrible, horrible way. And, I mean, you know, I don't know what you believe in. I do believe that, you know, there are ghosts. I do believe that they can kind of hang around if they die in a a brutal bad way suddenly like that so that's i mean that's just the sad thing is that this really happened to some people and it should things like this shouldn't happen to people you know so that's all i've got for this episode feel free to leave a comment leave a review Um, Let me know if there's any specific cases or people or places that you would like me to do future episodes on. But that's it for this one today. Have a great day.